episode eight of the beyond the battle podcast i have to admit i really liked episode seven i thought it was really good so i hope you got to check that out and if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet please do and also if you like the podcast what would be awesome is if you took one of the links and put it on your social media pages so other people could find it maybe tell them what you like about the podcast and why you listen so that others could discover it. That would be awesome. So to start episode eight, reminder that at the end of this month, so I'm recording this on October 2nd, the end of this month is another one of my beyondthebattle.net online small groups coming up. So if you're a guy, one of two uh, types, I guess, one or maybe both, but if you're struggling in sin, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with, maybe you've, you've overcome a pornography addiction, but the thoughts are still in your mind. The lust is there. When you see women, you can't control your, your eyes, and you just want some help. You want to get to the bottom of it. You're tired of it. I really encourage you to join. 100% of guys that have gone through the group so far have said that the group has helped them find greater freedom from pornography and lust and fantasy. And the groups have been super, super fruitful. The other type of guy you might be is someone who's just passionate about this and wants to help lead groups in this area. And joining an online group is a great way to learn how to lead a group yourself. So you can check out that information at beyondthebattle.net, but the next round of groups is beginning the end of October, and it'll go seven weeks, and would really love to have you join. If you are interested in leading your own group, you can also find a leader guide at beyondthebattle.net. So, a little sad today. A little sad, cloudy fall day, but also... There was no mail in the mailbag. Now, as a podcaster, that's hard to admit. My identity is in Christ, first of all. But like I said last week, I mean, I get it. You're intimidated. There's millions of people that listen to this podcast, and it's international, and and you don't want to send in an email, and it's just intimidating to talk to a big-time celebrity such as myself. You know, I, I get it. I get it. So if you get the courage to want to send in an email, I would love to hear from you normally do a mailbag segment at the beginning of the show, you can send in your email to podcast at beyondthebattle.net or connect on Twitter at battle underscore podcast. Send me a message. And first of all, if you follow me, I'll follow you back so that you can actually send me a message. So today, what I'm going to be talking about is the concept of one flesh. It is a phrase that the Bible uses to talk about sex. And the reason I'm going to talk about it this week is because I did a men's retreat a few weeks ago at someone else's men's retreat, and it went really, really well. I did a couple of talks, and I found that the concept of one flesh was one that came up a lot, and that was really helpful in understanding God's design for sex. One of the sermons I did was on 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. I'm not going to do the whole sermon here on the podcast, 
but I am going to be reading verses 15 and 16. Uh, if you're in a spot where you want to pull that up on your Bible, uh, go for it. But the middle of verse 15, Paul writes, Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Now, he's quoting Genesis 2.24 there when he says the two will become one flesh. And that's the line. And, and I want you to think when you hear this, where have you heard this line before? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and become united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. There's a chance you heard it in a sermon at church, but it's more likely you heard it where? At a wedding. This would be a verse that's often used. Well, weddings are not where two people become one flesh. According to Paul, what I just read in 1 Corinthians 6, 16, you become one flesh with someone else when you have sex together. That is very different than when you get married. So the concept of one flesh at marriage would be you can have sex with all the people you want prior to marriage, and it doesn't really count for much. And then when you get married, now marriage makes you one flesh. Paul is saying in the Bible that you become one flesh when you have sex. Now, let's think about that for a second. This concept of one flesh is huge. So one flesh is talking about two people becoming one. And I do this in one of my small group videos, but I want you to picture a piece of yellow Play-Doh and a picture a piece of blue Play-Doh. And you start mixing them together. What happens when you mix yellow Play-Doh and blue Play-Doh? You get green Play-Doh. That's right. And once it becomes green, that's it. It's green. It becomes one flesh. It is now green. You no longer could separate the yellow from the blue. If you ripped it in half, you would just have two pieces of green. And I like that symbol for one flesh because what one flesh is, is it's saying that I accept all of someone else when, it, when I have sex with them. So what culture has told us and what sin has told us is sex is only about body parts. It's about getting my needs met or it's about feeling good. It's about the act itself. And scripture says that sex is about two people becoming one flesh. So that means everything about you, not just your body parts, but everything. When, when I say everything, what I mean is all the good things about you and then all the things that aren't so good. You know, you look at a marriage and you look at, not that any of this applies you know, to my marriage or my wife, of course, but I've heard, I've heard from others that sometimes their spouse annoys them. Uh, sometimes their spouse has weaknesses and uh, there's quirks. And, and as we all know, in marriage, it's, it's this place of incredible vulnerability. And there's days where there's just pain and there's days where there's just tears. And that's real life. And sex is designed to happen within marriage because marriage is the relationship that can uphold all that someone is. So what you have in culture is you say, let's just have sex because it feels good. The Bible says you just became one flesh with that person. And then 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's talking about a prostitute. You're saying, okay, great. You just had sex with a prostitute. Now you're one flesh with that person. Now you are their spouse. Now you are there to be with them through uh, sickness and health, richer or poor. Uh, you know, uh, the, the whole vows, all that the whole nine yards until death do us part, that's what you just signed up for. It's like, whoa, whoa, I, I didn't just sign up for that. See, they're two very different substances 
And here's why it's really, really helpful to understand God's design for one flesh. I am not naive enough to think that everyone listening to this podcast was a virgin when they got married or for singles listening that you are a virgin. Now, if that is the case, praise God for that. That was the case for my wife and I. That does not mean you're going to have a perfect marriage or sexual utopia or something like that that you may have read in a different uh, sexual purity book uh, or you may have heard in a sermon that it's no promise of uh, lack of difficulty later in life. But understanding the one flesh concept is really key whether you're a virgin or not. And the beautiful thing about grace is God wants to cleanse you and make you whole now so that going forward, live in this pattern of living when it comes to sex. But here's what it does. When we see someone else, whether we're married or single, and we're tempted to lust over them. So that's someone where we're saying, I desire them, I want to be with them, they're not my spouse, and I'm objectifying them, I'm, I'm seeing them only as a set of body parts. And we're just trained, hardwired to do this, uh, especially as guys, but, but women as well, certainly applies both ways. When you start to fall into that trap, we can remember not just what many sexual purity books or strategies tell us, which would be, don't do that, it's bad. Oh, I know that would feel good, but don't do it. You got to save yourself until marriage or or whatever it may be. But read, not I wouldn't say redefine because you're, you're defining sex based on God's definition. His was the first definition of sex. And instead of taking Satan's definition of sex, that it's meant to be just body parts, when I see a woman, whether it's someone on the street that I'm tempted over or it's the temptation of pornography, I can remind myself sex is not just about body parts. Sex is about all of who someone is. And in fact, the deeper you get on this journey, the journey that Beyond the Battle takes you through, the journey really is about seeing past the outer surface. Being, If it's a, a Christmas present, it's seeing past the wrapping paper. If it's a book, it's seeing past the cover of the book and seeing into the book itself. That when you see a woman or when you see a man, what you see on the surface is not who that person is. We see past, so if they seem, oh, they're very attractive and I and I want them, and all we see is the outside surface, and there's fantasies there, and there's the lust there, and all these sorts of things, we can stop ourselves by remembering the design for sex is always meant to be one flesh. One flesh gives someone dignity. See, it gives someone dignity because it says, I'm accepting all of you. All of you matters. All of you is important. All of you is what makes you a human. What's dehumanizing, let's take a really terrible example, like rape, for example. What's dehumanizing about rape is it says, you are an object to be consumed. I'm going to use you, abuse you, I'm going to throw you out, and then move on to the next person. And really the method, the mindset of pornography is the same way. It's the same objectification mindset. I'm going to use you, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw you out into the next person. And a lot of casual promiscuous sex is the same way. Uh, culture would say, well, it's okay because it's consensual and that's all you need in today's day and age is consent. But it's the same mindset that that person is an object to be used. I get pleasure from them. I don't care about what actually makes them a person. I don't care about their goals. I don't care about all the 
the vulnerabilities. I don't care about their fears. I'm not going to be here with them through thick and thin. I'm just here for this moment and I'm done. And I'm not here for them. I'm here for me. And I'm not here for their safety. I'm here for my own consumption. You get the idea. So this concept of one flesh that we get from 1 Corinthians 6, 16 that, that originated in Genesis 2, 24, it is so helpful for one, if you're single, remembering why premarital sex is a sin. It's not just enough to say, oh, this is a part of God's rule book, you know, don't do this, but to understand that sex is so much bigger. Another analogy that I like to use is that of baking a cake. If you were to bake a cake, it requires many different ingredients. It requires things like flour and sugar and butter. I don't make cakes, but this is what I hear goes into a cake. Eggs and all these sorts of things, and of course, sugar. And what our culture has done is they've eaten the cake, they like how the cake tastes, and they say, what gives the, ta- the what gives this cake the sweetness? What makes it taste good? Well, the answer is the sugar. So what our culture does is it takes sugar and it separates it out from the rest of the recipe. See, the whole recipe, that's the one flesh relationship. That's what marriage is. When you bake a cake, it takes time, it's difficult, it's messy. That's what marriage is. Marriage takes time, it's difficult, it's messy. There's a lot of bland ingredients in marriage. Can I get an amen, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just what marriage is. It's, it's you have flour, very bland, butter, very bland, eggs, very bland, right? This is, these, but these are the key components that make up a cake. If you take away the bland ingredients, and I mean the commitment to one another through daily life, to do daily life together, to trust one another, to be there for one another, how is your day? Uh, how can I support you? How can I encourage you? When you have children, wow, does the 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 blandness get even even greater exponentially as far as the amount of chores there are to do and you really are a unit together doing these things together uh, that's like baking the cake it and it's hard but that's what a one flesh recipe is meant to be and sex is a crucial part of that recipe sugar is a crucial part of the cake recipe if you take sugar out of the cake recipe what do you end up with you end up with probably some kind of bread. It's bland and it's certainly not cake. It's not what it's supposed to taste like. But what our culture, so you need sex within a marriage. God made it. Sex is good and it's his creation. It's all part of the one flesh uh, recipe. But what culture's done is they have taken that single ingredient of sex, that single ingredient of sugar, and they've separated it. And they've gotten everybody high on it. It's, it's basically like saying, hey, if you like sugar, you like cake, you like brownies, you like cookies, you like ice cream, you like all these things. So, so just take the shortcut and just eat sugar, sugar all by itself. Uh, I, I tell this story in Beyond the Battle, but I was doing this talk in front of some college students and I, I gave that analogy and I pulled out a cylinder of sugar like you would have at a coffee bar, like the kind with the pour spout. And I said, I'll give anybody $20 that can eat this whole cylinder of sugar. And I went through the whole thing. Who likes sugar here? Everybody likes sugar, you know, we like cake, brownies, etc. So this, this college freshman, 18-year-old guy, he says, I'm taking you up on your challenge. And I'm in the middle of my sermon. This was several years ago when I did this. And he was determined to win that $20. He was determined to prove me wrong. He sat down and he started chomping away at the sugar, just 
like this. And I'm thinking, oh no, this guy, this, this is not going well. And I get to the end of my sermon and he had eaten half of this cylinder of sugar. And I think it was a 20 ounce cylinder. So 10 ounces, it was a lot way, way too much sugar. And I said, stop, okay, I'm done with my servant. I push you out of your misery. Here's $20. And I found out later he actually had to go to the hospital because of chronic headaches he was getting uh, because of all of that sugar that he ate. I no longer do that analogy anymore, uh, actually physically doing it, but I do talk about it. And I talk about his situation because it shows what happens when all we eat is sugar. And that's the same thing that it, it, it wrecks us, it, right? It wrecks our body, it wrecks our mind, our body and our mind, our spirit. Uh, actually, physiologically, we're not, we're not meant to intake that much sugar. It does terrible things. It gives us diseases. Uh, and sexually, is very similar. Our, so many people have souls, men and women alike, have a soul that has just been completely, I don't know the right word to use. It's, I don't want to say destroyed because God can, God can redeem anything, but just harmed because you have equated sex as being just about body parts, just about sugar, and you've consumed others. You've allowed yourself to be consumed and through sexual relationships, through pornography, through and today it is just so rampant in so many ways and scare and the scary thing is it's becoming more and more and more normal. So I I give you sex as a one flesh relationship as a helpful tool for you in your purity to know if you're married your marriage is a one flesh relationship. And it's like doing a trust fall the trust fall is where somebody stands up on a picnic table. Usually you do this at camp or something, a team building exercise, and they fall backwards and their team is there to catch them. Their team has their hands, their arms out, I should say, like a zipper where their arms intertwine. So when the person falls off the picnic table, you go with your back leading. So you, you, you're, you're looking up at the sky and you're falling. You, you can't see the ground and your team catches you. And many people have, have done these and are familiar with them. And having sex outside of the one flesh relationship is like falling off the trust fall with nobody to catch you or with the person behind you playing video games on their cell phone. You're going to fall. You're going to hit the ground. They're not going to be there to catch you because that relationship cannot support that level of intimacy. The prostitute in 1 Corinthians 6, 16 is not going to be able to support that level of intimacy, and there will be pain caused because of it. So if you are in a marriage, stand fast. You are holding your spouse as they fall into your arms. If you have kids, you're holding your spouse and your kids as they fall into your arm because everything is interconnected. Every ingredient, every piece of marriage supports the ingredient of sex within marriage. If you are single, understand that sex really is a lot more than you're going to be bargaining for. Sex is not simply the physical interplay that pornography and culture has lied to you and told you that it is. Sex is the bringing together of two whole people into one flesh. Here's the last thing I'll say about this. Uh, Two halves do not make a whole. Two halves do not make a whole. And this gets back to really the foundational thesis of Beyond the Battle. A guy doesn't know, a guy is, is half of a, 
He's insecure, okay? So a guy doesn't know who he is. A guy thinks that if he has sex with a girl or if this girl shows him attention, and it's the same thing we seek out in pornography, but in the sex, in actual, this idea of one flesh, we think that if I have sex with this girl, if she shows me attention, she will make me approved. She will make me valuable. She will... It will, I will be okay because I'm with this woman. And a woman will think the same way. Well, I'm alone. Nobody loves me. I'm not lovable. And so if I have sex with this guy, he will make me lovable. He will ex- make me accepted. He will make me valuable. You see what's happening here? You have two people who think the other person is going to give them what only God can give them. And so what happens? They come together outside of marriage the relationship cannot support that level of intimacy. The guy soon finds out this woman is not God and I still don't feel valued. I still don't feel accepted because I need another hit. The woman wasn't enough. I need more. It's like a drug. I need to have sex again to feel that way. And she's not wanting to have sex with me or it's not good enough anymore. I don't get the same rush from it I used to get. So I'm going to dump her and I'm going to move on to somebody else. And that woman will be the one that makes me feel accepted and approved. And it's the same for homosexual relationships. I've had several people, thank you for those those emails that have come in, not, not questions for the podcast, but people writing in with saying, hey, I have same-sex attraction and 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 it's the same idea, but in those cases, a man is looking to another man to give him what only God can give him, and a woman is looking to another woman to give her what only God can give her, a, the sense of acceptance and approval. And you go and have sex with that other man or that other woman, and then you realize, I'm still not satisfied. I still don't feel valuable. I still don't feel loved. And so you move on to the next person or in deeper and deeper into pornography, and you can see that that slavery. And, and for women uh, seeking out men, it, it, it manifests itself through the actual act of sex. It manifests itself through desiring the attention from guys. If I can just get the attention from guys, then I'll feel accepted. Then I'll feel approved. And we all are on the exact same treadmill. We think two halves will make one whole. That will not happen because no man out there is Jesus and no woman out there is Jesus. No heterosexual man out there is Jesus and no homosexual uh, man or woman, I should say, uh, is Jesus. Only Jesus can make you whole. Whether you're single or married, only Jesus can make you whole. If you're not whole in Jesus and you're married, you're looking to your spouse to be Jesus for you. That's why you're so angry at your spouse. That's why you feel like your spouse doesn't love you enough. And I'm not saying your spouse is great. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not even saying that they're holding up to their end of the bargain or they may even be in sin. But whether your spouse is like the best spouse on the planet or the worst spouse on the planet, they are not Jesus. They will never give you the approval that you have in Jesus that we see in Romans 8, 15 to 17, that we are sons, we are children of God, we are adopted now as daughters and as sons, that God is our Father. He's holding us as a Father. Psalm 131 is this beautiful metaphor of us being the infant, and the metaphor is actually God as our mother, and it's an infant 
just being at complete peace after nursing from their mother. It's not saying God is our mother. It's just using the metaphor of a mother and child to describe the peace, the wholeness that we have in God. That's a beautiful thing. I have three kids. They're all young. I very much, I have one of them is 15 months, very much remember the, st- the stage of them feeding from my wife and just passing out in my wife's arms. And God's saying, that's what I want you to do. You can just pass out of my arms. That's the type of wholeness you have in me. You are my child. And we don't believe it, but it's true. Colossians 1.22 tells us that we are holy. Do you feel holy? We are, holy means perfect, by the way. (laughs) It means perfect. Do you feel that way? Colossians 1.22 says, we are without blemish. Do you feel without blemish when you stand before God? And we are free from accusation. Do you feel free from accusation when you stand before God? Because that's the gospel. Colossians 1.22 says, that's what you have in Jesus. That's how valuable you are because when God sees you, he sees Jesus. And let that be fuel and motivation for your daily rhythm time with the Lord. I spent, uh, I spent the majority of last episode, episode 7, talking about how to have a daily rhythm time with the Lord. Allow the gospel, allow the living Jesus to be with you to remind you every day of the wholeness that you have in him. Sex is a one flesh relationship. In that one flesh relationship, you still aren't God for that person. But it gives a picture of the dignity that each person is innately given in God. And when we have sex outside of that one flesh relationship, We are saying people aren't people. People aren't worth it. People are just objects for me to use. And nobody wants to be that type of person who takes someone and turns them into an object. Allow God's design for sex to re-conform you, if that's a word, to conform you to what sex actually is. When you're pumped the lies of culture that sex is about body parts refute it with the with the truth that sex is a one flesh relationship you're getting way more than you bargained for when you have sex with someone so avoid yourself the pain and don't have sex outside of marriage and within marriage know that the ingredients that make up your marriage are much more than just the ingredient of sex It's just a start. It's just a piece of the puzzle, but it's a very important piece. It's a very foundational theological piece. I hope it's helpful. If you have questions about the one flesh concept or anything I mentioned in this podcast, or if you have other topics you'd like me to talk about or answer, or maybe struggles that you're going through, feel free to just mention the email. You'd like me to read it anonymously. If you'd like it to be anonymous, you can email the show podcast at beyondthebattle.net. If you like shorter podcasts, 
then this episode is for you. Know that you are not alone. Know that there is freedom. It is found in Christ. I am happy to walk this path with you and we can get beyond the symptoms to the root of what it is we're actually looking for. Jesus is there with open arms saying, I love you, I approve of you, I give you value. You don't deserve it, uh, but that's what mercy is. And it's a journey of mercy. We can go on that journey together. So thank you for listening to episode eight of the Beyond the Battle podcast. This wraps up this episode. If you are interested in an online small group with me, please head over to beyondthebattle.net. Or if you are interested in leading your own small group, beyondthebattle.net. And I also will say, if you have not yet read my book, Beyond the Battle, please do. Uh, that book is going to help you so much have a foundation for all the stuff that I'm talking about in the podcast. And then the podcast is just a little bit of icing on the cake. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you next time. Pull pit preachers shouldn't aim to be a list. Money probably long, but sure is what you